Are you a mother who feels stuck in depression? Does it seem like your life is overshadowed by clouds that never seem to part? Hi, my name is Christine Chapel, and before we start today's podcast episode, I wanted to let you know about a new book I've written entitled Midnight Mercies, Walking with God Through Depression in Motherhood. Perhaps the best way to describe this book is that it's an empathetic, God-centered journey from hopelessness to hope. Sharing from my own experiences of depression and the cries of God's people throughout the scriptures, my hope is that you'll be reminded of Christ's faithfulness to you and presence with you, even when the darkness doesn't lift. Each chapter concludes with immediate help in the form of simple next steps, a scripture verse for contemplation and comfort, and questions for journaling. So if you're a Christian mother whose world has gone dark and you feel guilty or ashamed that you can't figure out how to turn the lights back on again, I pray that the Lord will use this book to lift that burden off your back. Whether you feel hopeless, weary, sad, angry, anxious, ashamed, or lonely today, God's mercies will sustain you no matter how dark the night. You can learn more about this new resource and order a copy today by visiting online retailers such as Amazon, ChristianBook.com, BiblicalCounselingBooks.com, or PNR Publishing at PRPBooks.com. Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with IBCD's Executive Director, Jim Neuheiser, about his mini book, Help! My Anger is Out of Control. For more help on today's topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Jim Neuheiser is the director of the Christian Counseling Program and professor of practical theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. He is a fellow of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors and a board member of the Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. Hey there, Jim. Thanks so much for joining us again on the Hope and Help podcast. It's great to have you back. I'm happy to be back, especially with you being the one to interview me. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking the other day, I can't believe after almost four years of or over four years of biblical counseling conversations on the show, I have yet to do an episode specifically on the topic of anger. Uh, The last one that we did was on angry grief, which was, you know, a little bit different of an angle for this topic. But this is really going to hone in on what you talk about in your mini book called Help, My Anger is Out of Control. I wonder if maybe before we get started, you could spend a few minutes telling us why you wanted to write a, a mini book on the topic of anger. Sure. Jay Adams, in one of the early biblical counseling works, said that 90% of all counseling cases somehow involve anger. And I don't always disagree with Jay, but I wonder what the other 10% are. And in my own experience, what was happening is when I was counseling back at San Diego, I had a season where I had case after case after case dealing with angry people, both men and women. And I was coming up with 
key points to make. And originally I would actually have them like get a three by five card and write down five things from the Bible to tell yourself when you're tempted to be angry. And I did it so many times, I kept doing the same five things. And so I decided to write a mini book, which would essentially be probably a couple of counseling sessions worth of material, how the gospel enables us to overcome sinful anger. Well, I know that I have read this mini book a number of times and even have referred to that helpful scripture card that you have about overcoming anger by grace. That's something that we've had available uh, at IVCD conferences, and even you have reproduced that little card at RTS, and so some of our listeners may be familiar with that. But I wonder if we could talk about the start of the mini book, because anger itself can be such a, a big topic, and there's so many different ways that anger can manifest itself in our daily lives. And you cover some of those common scenarios at the beginning of the mini book. And so not to necessarily have you rehash what you wrote there in the mini book, but I wonder, as we think about this topic, if you could help by offering a brief overview of how anger might manifest itself in our relational interactions. Yeah, I think that the Bible so wonderfully explains why we do what we do. And of course, Jesus says in Mark 7, it's out of the heart that sin comes. And he mentions murders. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about how anger in the heart and hateful words are murderous. But then in James 4, we really, I think, learn what's in our hearts, where he says, you know, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's your desires that wage war in your members. And you desire and you don't get, and so you kill. And later in James 4, James talks about how we should not judge each other. And so my very brief definition would be anger is an emotion that arises out of a judgment. And because we're in God's image, when we sense injustice, uh, we want to make the balance even again. And so I was just on counseling a guy over the phone before this session and his wife has hurt him greatly and it's just tearing him apart. And he feels like he needs to somehow even the score and this desire, you know, for justice, you've wronged me, things aren't the way they should be. And usually that's directed towards a person. It can be directed towards circumstances where, you know, it rained when I was going to have a picnic or something like that, which I guess ultimately would be anger against God. When we're angry, we're trying to achieve justice, but I love how James 1.19 says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. When we're angry, we think we're going to bring justice. We're going to give them what they deserve, but actually it's not justice because, as Romans 12 says, it's not our job to take revenge. So, Jim, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm just thinking of, you know, some of the common responses. I mean, even in myself, too, you know, as we listen to you talk about anger coming out of the heart and the verse that you shared about being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. I think a lot of us would agree that's a great verse and we want to be like that. You know, that is that is a good goal for us to strive for. But at the same time, it's almost like this anger that is being squeezed out of our heart is like a knee jerk reaction just comes out of us. You know, maybe even sometimes that kind of rage or that outburst takes us by surprise in some situations. And so I wonder if you could just speak to that reality for a minute. Yeah, the first passage that was been in my mind is more general in Galatians 5, where Paul tells us if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so 
the key to not responding sinfully is if you're walking with the Lord, you're walking in the Spirit, and then you're provoked. I would hope that the fruit of love, joy, peace, and I would add self-control especially, will come out. And if among the deeds of the flesh are outbursts of anger, that may show we weren't walking with the Lord as closely as we thought we were. And it also shows we're tempted to think, well, the problem is with whatever this person did to provoke me. But from my standpoint, my problem is I'm not walking in grace. I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm not walking with the Lord. And I need to be, first of all, right with God and humbled before God before I can respond to whatever this person did that provoked me. You mentioned just a minute ago a brief definition of anger, but I wonder if you could share a little bit more about its common characteristics. Well, I've mentioned James 4 already that we, you know, that you, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts? You desire something. I think an important thing to recognize about anger is we become angry because we want something and we're not getting it. That's at the core. I also think, I know you've written recently about depression. And I think anger and depression are both very closely related in that in both cases, things aren't the way you want them to be. And so there can be reaction of despair or there can be reaction of attack, but it could be in response to very similar circumstances. And I think a lot of people go from depression to anger pretty fast, although they seem like the emotions are very different, but I think they're both responses to circumstances we don't like. There's so much in the Bible about what anger, how anger expresses itself. In Proverbs 25, it talks about like a city with the walls broken down as a man who has no control over his spirit. And I'm not all into Marvel and you know whatever the comic stuff is, but I do like the Incredible Hulk because I think it's kind of a figure in mythology that reflects human nature where you've got mild-mannered Bruce Banner, everything's fine. But then when things don't go his ways, he becomes angry and, you know, he turns green and giant and breaks things and hurts people. And I think that's what Ephesians 4 is describing, where it says, if you be angry, do not sin. It says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, lest you give the devil an opportunity. So I think when we allow anger into our hearts, it's going to express itself. James 1, lust conceived gives birth to sin and sin results in death. And so when we're angry in our hearts, it's going to come out in what we do and it's going to be destructive. And so the battle has to be fought within our hearts. You also have a section in the mini book where you talk about the fact that anger does have a physical component to it. So, you know, I think you've done a a great job of helping us to begin to peel back the layers in terms of what's going on in our heart. But can you speak to the physical components of anger as well? Yeah, I think it's interesting that some of the language in the Bible of anger speaks of being hot or trembling. Uh, Cain's anger burned. Uh, Moses, when he saw the golden calf and everything going on, you know, it, it describes in Exodus how it affected him emotionally. It's interesting, even a psychologist, the American Psychological Association, when it writes about anger, describes how anger affects hormones and heart rate and blood pressure. And so I think our body and soul are interconnected. And so I think when the soul is deeply troubled, then it's going to affect the body as well. And we can feel, you know, we can feel hot. We can, we can feel it coming on. Uh, that's part of how God has made us. But then again, we have to work in our hearts to have self-control under those circumstances. I think that's even when Ephesians forces be angry, do not sin, is that 
when something provocative happens, you're going to have this reaction of anger against what is perceived injustice, but then dealing with it not in a sinful way, but in a godly way is the challenge. I, I don't remember where I read it, but something about that anger can be a productive emotion that leads us to problem solve in a godly way. Yeah, uh, I think you know, anger is very dangerous and it does a lot of damage to relationships, but there is a righteous response even to our own anger when we see injustice. We could, you know, Galatians 6, we, we sense something is wrong and then as we're walking in the spirit to go gently and lovingly restore someone who has hurt us, and that would be not doing it in anger, but you know, the, the reaction of anger may say, okay, well, what's the right way to deal with this? And it's not to destroy this person. I use the analogy, uh, don't come as a judge to condemn, but coming as a nurse to heal. And so our reaction against evil or against injustice can be used in a positive way. A danger, however, is that all anger to us seems righteous. And a lot of times we express our anger in unrighteous ways, trying to justify it because you know, we really have been wrong, but that doesn't justify the sinful response we're tempted to engage in. Jim, I wonder as you, you have decades of counseling experience, do you find we're often blind to our own tendencies toward anger, that, it, that sometimes it could even, for us to even have someone call us out on how angry we are can take us by surprise and even be a shock? Yeah, I think that uh, you know, people often try to relabel it, that I'm frustrated, you know, I'm not really angry, if they know it's kind of wrong, or my anger is justified. And so I think in counseling, this is where some skilled Q&A and some use of the scripture can help with counselees. That's why James 4 can be so powerful where it says, okay, let's slow down. What is it that you wanted? And maybe the thing you wanted was okay. The wife wants her husband to come home on time and to help with the kids. And he doesn't do that. And you know, what she wanted wasn't wrong. And that's why people get confused because, hey, this really is unfair. But then her response to it, because she didn't get what she wanted, there's no excuse for the sinful response she had. Now, then the next thing would be, well, what would a godly response be? That's external, the internal of walking in the spirit and being gracious and being humble in terms of you know, the big issue is God's anger has been turned away from us. And we've done far greater sin against God than anybody has done to us. That's going to help us to deal with the injustices we experience in a more gracious way. There was a line that you wrote in the mini book that I thought was helpful, but also I think kind of goes against what we so often hear just culturally or in our everyday conversations that we have with people. And you write that quote, external circumstances, including what people do against us, do not make us sinfully angry. And I think that some people listening to that would be like, wait a minute, yes, it does. <laughs> and so I wonder if you could address that common understanding of anger. Somebody's making me mad, or this is making me mad. How can we think right. biblically about those types of expressions and that perception? I'm really glad you brought that up because that's something you hear so commonly in counseling is she made me angry. She made me man, or even, you know, even in terms of abuse, sometimes, well, she caused me to do this wrong thing. We are Colossians 3 talks about how we're to put to death these sins, which would include the outbursts of anger. And so I think we need to distinguish between, yes, you genuinely did something provocative, 
and that was displeasing to God, and it was a sin against me, but I don't have to respond in a sinfully angry way. So no one can make me sinfully angry. Uh, We've already mentioned Galatians 5, which says, if I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not carry out the deeds of the flesh, which include outbursts of anger and strife and contention. And so it says, if I'm walking closely with the Lord and somebody wrongs me, then I can respond in a gracious way. That doesn't mean I'm a wimp. And I I may, Galatians 6.1 says, I may need to go to confront them lovingly. And of course, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is something we also use quite a bit, where No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. And so you may be tempted, and yet God, who is sovereign, will not allow you to be tempted in such a way you have to become sinfully angry. And so even if a conversation is going on and the wife said, you made me mad, certainly I think you can fully acknowledge that he was very provocative, that he hurt you. And it made it very difficult for you to be self-controlled. And it really hurts you to, to say those things are true and honest. But to use their sin to excuse your sin is unbiblical. And it's just an unhelpful way of thinking because it also gets back to Matthew 7 that we're to be concerned about the logs in our own eyes. And so I've had this expression where, I mean, true story, where a lady became angry with her husband because she saw him at the mall, glance at a pretty girl, and then look, you know, and she started just berating him for being an adulterer, and was even like threatening divorce because he looked at a. And again, I'm, you know, that is men need to be careful, and women, but trying to say to her as gently as I could, he may be in a sense being an adulterer, but you're a murderer, by the same kind of definition in Matthew five, and so you know, we we tend so much to self justification. And you know, again, the Word of God is just so full of wisdom, where you know, James 4, 11, do not speak against one another, brethren. and he who speaks against brother judges his brother, speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I think, along with anger, we like being judges. We, we like being above others and putting them down. And the gospel should make us humble healers instead of arrogant judges. Yeah. Well, I love that you ended on that because it made me think of a quote, I think from Ed Welch, where he said, I don't remember what book I read it in or if it was a blog article, but he said something to the effect of that we all want mercy for ourselves and justice for other people. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really great way of, of viewing it. Yeah. And it, I mean... It helps me when we all get hurt. Okay, we're living in a fallen world, and so we're all going to be provoked. By the end of the day, we're all going to have provocative things happen to us. It could be the guy that almost caused a crash when I was driving yesterday by cutting in front of me. It can be people I live with, work with, that do things that hurt or disappoint me. We're going to be provoked, and yet that's why it's so important we're walking closely with the Lord. And another aspect would be, just remembering, and this is part of what's on the anger card, is I have received far mercy from God than he's asking me to show to others. You know, the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, I'm the 10,000 talent debtor who's been forgiven. And 100 denarii is a lot of money in terms of its 100 days wages. But I really find it helps me so much when I feel really provoked to recall my own sin. And, you know, the psalmist says, remember not the sins of my youth. And as I remember how merciful God has been to me. 
I can't really stay angry at somebody else for very long. So just contemplating how the gospel has cleansed me of horrible, ugly, nasty, disgusting sin against God and against others. The gospel should make us gracious people and help us to overcome those initial reactions of, you know, this is unjust and I want to judge. Jim, have you noticed that a lot of times in relational conflict, and it's not that this conversation is necessarily about relational conflict, but since we've talked about it the last few minutes and you've mentioned the word hurt a lot, and I think a lot of times in relationships, hurt and anger are often kind of mingled up together. So we're responding in anger because we feel hurt. And so I wonder if you can maybe, just before we segue into how we might begin to overcome anger by grace, which you just started to talk about, but before we move on to that, do you find that when the hurts aren't being addressed, the anger continues to build in personal relationships? Yeah. I mean, I'm very thankful to be in a very gracious marriage. And so when one of us hurts the other, there's biblical recourse to gently restore, to come not to vent anger and to punish, but to come and restore my sister to the Lord and or to be restored, Galatians 6, and then to restore the relationship. And so I think that's always ideal. There are going to be circumstances in life where people hurt you and they don't repent and they won't be restored. It will be common with unbelievers. I mean, there are people, I counsel in cases where someone has been horribly mistreated by an unbelieving family member and years later, that family member will not apologize, will not admit it. And the hurt doesn't go away easily. Anger is not the right answer. You know, Jesus in First Peter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return but entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. And so I think sometimes in the hurt, we just have to realize, which is also one of the points on the card, I'm not God. It's not my job to punish those who have hurt me. I entrust that to the Lord. When Joseph's brothers came to him and they were afraid he was going to punish them in Genesis 50, they fell down before him. But the first thing he said is, I am not in the place of God. You know, meaning God may discipline you or punish you for the horrible things you did to me. But if we really believe God is just, this is where the doctrine of God's justice, eschatologically looking at the end times and when whatever your view of that is, that knowing God's justice in the end enables us to deal with injustice in the present. And then, of course, given that God's justice was satisfied on the cross for us, we are thankful that you know, in light of how we've been treated graciously, we're supposed to forgive as we've been forgiven. Well, thank you for just taking a few minutes to to address that for us. We're going to move on and now hopefully offer some more practical helps for how we might begin to address the anger that we struggle with in, in our own lives, in our own different ways. It manifests itself in, in different ways. And I, I was even as I was re- reading this mini book again, remembering back to the peacemaker days when I re- read the peacemaker as part of my uh, counseling training and really being helped by acknowledging the fact that anger exists on a spectrum you know that that you can there's cold anger and then there's hot rage you know and anger isn't always the person who's punching a hole in the wall but sometimes anger is expressed through isolation cold shoulders silent treatment 
and things of that nature. And so I'm just really thankful to be having this conversation uh, because I think it's going to be a help to our listeners to kind of broaden even their understanding of what sinful anger could look like. And so as we think about moving forward on this journey through overcoming anger, maybe you could just give us a word of hope because what we've talked about so far is it's really hard for a lot of people who are struggling in this area. So what hope is there for the person who feels like their anger is out of control and having a negative impact on their life and relationships? I appreciated what you said. I'd like to comment on that a little bit first about how anger has different manifestations that I've never, to my recollection, shot it at my wife in 44 years nearly of marriage. I've never touched her in anger. And so I could feel self-righteous, but I can, by refusing to make eye contact or not connecting physically or emotionally or verbally, you know, just kind of walk by or whatever, that still hurts her as if I was shouting at her and it's still sinful. And I, I'm, I know that hurts her. And so, like you said, I think sometimes people think just like a man who says, well, I've never hit my wife. And he doesn't realize he's done so many other things that express sinful anger. And he's proud of not having done the one thing. And yet he says hurtful things or he gives her the silent treatment or withdraws. Uh, we have a case right now where uh, the husband just withdraws and doesn't talk to his wife for days at a time. And he's not even verbally saying hateful things, but she's devastated. And so I think it has those expressions. And the hope is in the gospel. A verse that comes to mind is 1 Peter 1.18, where it says that Christ has redeemed us from the sins of our forefathers. As I grew up, my dad, who's passed away several years ago, uh, was an angry person. And my last memories of him, a couple of my final memories of him was him becoming angry. And that's very sad for me. And yet I'm thankful that I don't have to walk in his steps, that God has saved me. And I don't think my wife or other people close to me would say I'm a person characterized by anger in spite of the fact that was modeled for me, whether it's genetic, I have no idea. But Christ has, by his blood, redeemed me from slavery to all sin, including that sin. And Christ can make an angry person a gracious person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. And we've already mentioned how Galatians 5 gives us this hope. If you walk by the Spirit, then you'll no longer carry out those fleshly deeds. And just as a person who is turning to substance abuse or material things or sinful sexuality, that when you become a Christian, as Romans 6 says, you're set free, that you're dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. And so the gospel gives us that hope, but I think in fairness, I need to add, that doesn't mean the gospel makes it easy. Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And there's a lot of language in the New Testament, how we have to actively fight these things. And that may be the wisdom of Ephesians 4, where it says, be angry, do not sin. So, I mean, you're still to some degree in the flesh, the flesh and the spirit defeat. Well, Galatians 5.70 says, the flesh and the spirit within us are striving against each other. The difference is before I was a believer, there was no strife. The flesh had mastery, but now there's the strife going on and we have a responsibility when the anger wells up within us then to react according to the spirit and the help with the help of the spirit and the wisdom of the word of God to help us to not just 
suppress our anger like a volcano about to erupt, but actually to put out the fire of anger with truth from the word of God that's centered in the gospel. So Jim, taking that hope and running with it, I guess you could say, what are some practical ways we can start to address our inclinations to sinful anger? Well, that's kind of where we began with the card. <laughs> For me, it was like in the moment when it's, when James says, be slow to anger, and in the world they'll say like, count to 10. And there is something about the way God has made us that even for unbelievers, just the unbelieving husband and wife who argued at night and they wake up the next day and they're just not as mad anymore. Time, almost like a piece of metal that gets hot. If you just kind of leave it out, it'll cool down. But rather than just delay, I would say while we're being slow to anger, we need to remind ourselves of truth from the word of God that puts out the fires of anger. And again, that's kind of why we created the card. I should mention that the card is available for free for download for printing your own on jimneuheiser.com. It's actually in about six languages, but you can find it under cards under resources. But that's kind of why I made the card is because in the moment of anger, you can't read an entire mini book. So it's kind of briefly, what are five things? Maybe somebody else would have seven and somebody would have four, but these were five that I found myself sharing with people over and over again that Satan is lying to me and saying that I have every right to punish this person who's hurting me or to have an outburst of anger. And the word of God has something very different to say to me. And as I remind myself of these things, and I believe the Bible and I have the spirit within me, I would hope that the Lord would use these things to put out the fires of anger and remind me to be a person of grace because God has been gracious to me. So, Jim, what about times when somebody's anger is actually directed at themselves? How does the gospel help them to process that kind of problem? Yeah, that's a, another great question, Christine, that you often hear people saying, like, I can't forgive myself or I'm angry at myself. And I think the Bible does provide wonderful answers for that as well. Implicit in that is an element of pride, which is saying, I'm better than that. I'm angry at myself because I kept showing up late at work and I lost my job or I got involved with a very bad person in a relationship or whatever the things are. And when Paul says his conversion in 1 Timothy 1.15 is he realized he was chief of sinners. And so I think we tend to be angry at ourselves like we expected more from ourselves. Well, uh, we are by nature, dead in sin. We're by nature rebels against God. And even as believers, we're still weak and struggling. And so I think having a right view of ourselves is we will not be perfect. We're going to fall way short of perfect, which is why we need Christ and we need the gospel. And God did not make us judge of others. He did not, also, he did not make us judge of ourselves. And so when we have the sense of judgment upon ourselves, and I'm, even people, some people do self-injury somehow, you know, and I guess that was a lot of Luther was dealing with that in the Roman Catholics where you, you know, do penance or something. Well, the only way that justice can be satisfied for your failures and your sins is on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the place is not to forgive yourself or just, you know, to try to overcome your anger against yourself. It's to recognize that the one whose judgment counts is God and that God's justice is satisfied on the cross by Christ dying once for all the just for the unjust to bring us to God and to rest in God's forgiveness in Christ. And if God says you're forgiven, who are you to say he's wrong? 
And if God's anger has been turned away from you and he looks upon you in grace and he doesn't treat you as your sins deserve, who are you to treat yourself badly when God says, you know, he wants to treat you graciously? Yeah, that's such an important perspective to remember when we're struggling with being angry at ourselves or even self-hate uh, sometimes. And so thank you. You you talk about it just briefly in the mini book, which is why I wanted to be sure that we addressed it here sure. in the conversation. So thank you. I don't want to let a conversation like this pass us by without talking about the importance of Christian fellowship and discipleship and the role that it has to play in the life of someone who is seeking to overcome anger by grace. So can you talk about how even as we address this problem, or at least begin to address this problem with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, what role does a local church community play in that process? I love you bring it, bringing it back to the church, Christine. I think I would begin with the ordinary means of grace, is that as we attend worship and we hear the gospel, and the gospel is built into our singing and our praying, I love our church has communion every week, and every week we're reminded of what Christ has done for us when we confess our sin corporately. I think the means of grace should do a lot to help us to be people who walk in the Spirit, who walk humbly, realizing as chief of sinners, I'm not to be judging anybody, to revel in Christ's love for us, which is undeserved. And then when provocation comes, we're living in light of that reality. Another way the church can help is we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, as the scripture says. And then in some cases, when we see a brother or sister falling into a pattern of sinful anger, Galatians 6, 1, to restore each other, uh, the faithful the wounds of a friend, the proverb says, iron sharpening iron. So I think as we're in community together, and I can look back in concrete terms where you see a husband or a wife and you're seeing snippy, angry things going on that hopefully you have a relationship with them where you'd be free to do this is not in front of the whole home group or something, but just I'm concerned about this. Here you, I see this. And of course, you wonder if you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, if it, you see it publicly, but to have the courage to go not as someone who's better in judgment, but as someone, a fellow sinner who also needs grace, but to go explore those things, not to be afraid to do so, and to try to help people gain restoration. What you were just addressing was kind of more of a a corporate approach, but in terms of maybe a one-on-one discipleship relationship, for me personally, in the past, when I have noticed different sin patterns and behaviors or habits that I want by God's grace to change— my inclination was to just rely on myself to figure out how to do better next time. You know, so not necessarily to invite someone into my journey for that support, but just to try really, really hard and buckle down and, and then next time I'll do better. And I think that the temptation could be even to go that route with our problem against anger is just kind of keep it to yourself and read Jim's mini book and listen to a couple of audios or read a couple blogs and I'll just by myself be able to see change produced. But I wonder, could you talk to that a little bit and help us think about why it's important even to connect with another individual? on this process. Right. So verses come to mind to support exactly what you're saying, Christine. James 5 says we should confess our sins to one another. And there can be appropriate venues to do this. If you had a big fight with your spouse, I'm not sure you bring that up in home group, but you might find a mature brother or sister to keep you accountable. Uh, Hebrews 3.13 
encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so in all the different areas where we struggle, it may be fear, it may be lust, it may be gluttony. You know, we all, everybody's has some fleshly thing they're struggling with and probably more than one. So I think it's great to have relationships with either peers who can keep each other accountable mutually, like Hebrews 3.13 says, or to look for an older, more mature person. Like for ladies, you have the Titus 2 example of older women discipling younger women. problem with anger is I don't think most angry people recognize it's a problem. I think it's such a tendency to justify it. I think probably in many cases, the initiative has to come either from the person who's being hurt by their anger or somebody else who sees it. Like my most recent significant case of anger, the guy came to me and he said, I know I should have come to you a long time ago. But when my wife threatened to kick me out of the house, I decided it was time. And so that was, it. You know, she forced him to take his sinful anger against her and against their children seriously. And the Lord has greatly blessed that relationship I've had with them since that started. But again, oftentimes people are angry or living in denial and they need confrontation outside. He did come seeking help, but it's because the consequences were looming over him. If you're struggling with anger and you know it, by all means, find someone to help you. And if someone comes to you and says they think you're struggling with anger, Proverbs 9, 8, you know, rebuke a scoffer, he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, he will love you. And so don't be defensive, but consider the Lord may have sent that person to you to find the blind spot that you've been unaware of. We are about out of time for our conversation today, but I'd like to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening today who not only recognizes that their anger is out of control, but who wants to experience change in this area of their life. So what would you say to this person to encourage them with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? So I'm going to reverse that initially and say that if you believe that someone you love could be a family member, has a struggle with sinful anger, that you find a way to fulfill Galatians 6 and to gently restore them. And obviously, if you don't think you can safely do that, maybe bring somebody else along. But I think angry people need others who love them enough rather than just placating them and avoiding them. They need people who love them enough to confront them with their sin. Again, you have to do it in a safe way. Bring somebody else if you need to. But I think that's, you know, if some of you are listening to this say, well, I see this going on in my spouse or my kids or my parents. And I, I just want to encourage you to find a safe way to try to help them, or even if necessary, get safe, if and somehow you have a sense you're in danger and they won't listen. In terms of the person who's tempted to anger, I think pride is at the root of our anger and that we think we deserve better than we're getting. And if you understand that you deserve to be under the wrath of God, except that Christ stood between you and the justice that should have been on you, and that the one who has done all this for you, the one who's forgiven your great debt, has called you to stop judging and punishing others, and he's called you instead to be gracious, and that even when people provoke you and sin against you, it's, it's an opportunity to be Christ-like. It's an opportunity. The proverb says it's a glory to overlook a matter. It's glorious to be a person of grace rather than a person of judgment and anger. 
but also to do so very humbly in that Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can in your own strength do this. Cry out to God by his spirit to help you to become from the inside a person of grace, not just someone who kind of holds it down and that you could not just avoid the anger, but actually show grace and do good to others. Joseph is a great example. He didn't just hold back his anger. He blessed his brothers. So go from being a person who judges and punishes others to be a person who treats others better than they deserve and even shows love to those who hurt and disappoint them. Well, thank you so much for those words of encouragement and for all of the uh, insights that you shared with us today. I want to remind the listener that if they are interested in learning more about this topic and diving in a little bit more deeply, not too deep because it's a mini book, but just deep enough to to get some good traction and have some helpful next steps, you can check out Jim's book, Help. My Anger is Out of Control. It will be linked. Uh, so if you scroll down to the show notes of this episode, click the link there. It'll take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all that information. And we will also have listed on that page other free conference audios uh, where we hear from Jim and maybe a few others on the topic of anger. And so we've got lots of resources for you to be able to check out uh, right now if you're feeling so inclined by visiting that show notes page. Well, thanks again, Jim, for joining us for this conversation today. I'm glad we had the chance to talk about this issue and I look forward to having you back at some point in the near future. Thank you, Christine. You do a great job with this. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.